The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. said that Christian faithfulness is forged in the furnace of adversity. I suspect it's one thing to be faithful to God when life is pleasant. It's another thing to be faithful to God when life is painful. It's one thing to be faithful to our Lord in moments of triumph. It's another thing to be faithful to the Lord in moments of tragedy. It's one thing to be faithful to God in success. It's another thing to be faithful to God in moments of setback. I think that John MacArthur is exactly right. For Christian faithfulness is forged in the furnace of adversity. The truth of that statement is no better illustrated than in the story that's tucked away in the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 16 to 30. You realize that the last several weeks we have been going through a six-part sermon series entitled, What on Earth Are We Doing?, We've already discovered that we are here to have a personal relationship with God. We are also here so that we can make disciples one by one. But today we'll discover that we exist to demonstrate a forged faith. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 30. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Daniel chapter 3. Let's begin at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes and trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent The furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who 
has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Sometimes when you and I come to a story like the one here in Daniel chapter 3, we chalk it up as one of those cute, quaint, biblical stories for children. We think to ourselves, I've heard that story since I was a little boy or a little girl. It's one of those stories that seems to capture the attention of our children. Our grandchildren come home from Sunday school reciting the story of these three Hebrew boys who somehow stood up in defiance against the King Nebuchadnezzar, were thrown into the blazing furnace, and lived to tell about it. We think to ourselves, that's a cute story. That's a wonderful story, but what does that story have to do with me? You may think to yourself, I live in an adult world, and I have adult problems, and I carry adult stress. What can I learn from such a childhood story? This morning, I want to begin by issuing a word of caution. This is no childish story. This is a story about great faith. This is a story about demonstrating forged faith. And forged faith, if it's anything, is always faith that is strong and secure. Our story begins a few chapters earlier in Daniel chapter 1, for it's there that we learn that the barbaric Babylonians had invaded the city of Jerusalem, and King Nebuchadnezzar had deported many of the best and brightest that Judah had to offer. Among them were these friends, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken from everything that was familiar. They were stripped of their home, their family, their land. They were uh, taken to a pagan land with pagan people and pagan practices. And yet in the midst of everything that was chaotic, these young men were convinced that God honors those who honor him. They were convinced by this. It was a conviction that they shared I've been told that a conviction is not necessarily something you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. It sets parameters in your life. And so these men, these young men, were bound by the conviction that God honors those who honor him. One of the practical ways they did this is they refused to eat food from the king's table. We learn as early as Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 that Daniel was resolved not to defile himself. That word resolve literally means he set it upon his heart. We can safely assume that this resolution was not only on the heart of Daniel, but also on the hearts of our friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That together they were a band of brothers, and they had set it upon their hearts not to defile themselves before God. They didn't want to bring any shame to the name of God. 
regardless of whether it was a big matter or a small matter, they wanted to be obsessed with obedience. So one of the practical ways they did this is they refused to eat food from the royal table. You may understand that the Jewish religion has dietary laws that restrict uh, devout followers from eating certain foods, and undoubtedly there, there must have been barbaric Babylonians who liked their steaks rare. And so these Jewish boys understood that it was forbidden for them to eat meat that still had life-giving blood in it. They also understood that they weren't supposed to eat any meat that was partially sacrificed to idols, and they had no clue what some of this food was or where it had been. And still, you can well imagine that on the uh, Babylonian uh, smorgasbord, there was a barbecue, uh, there were pork chops in the morning, there was probably bacon and sausage, and right now you're licking your chops. But in those days, these guys understood we can't eat that food. So they went to their supervisor, and they said, can you please just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink? The supervisor said, why in the world would I do that? If the king sees you looking worse than the other boys your age, he'll have my head. And Daniel came up with a great idea. Let's put it to a 10-day test. For the next week and a half, just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink and then examine us and see if we are not better nourished and well fit, in fact, better than the other boys our age, even some of which who have compromised their convictions and they're eating from the royal table. You just check us out and test us. The supervisor said, that would be all right. So the next week and a half went by and sure enough, Daniel and his three friends who had only eaten vegetables and had only partaken of water, they were better nourished than all the boys their age. Now what does this prove? Does this prove that a diet of vegetables and water is better for you than the diet of the royal table of King Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> Maybe. But this much I know is true. It proves that God honors those who honor him. Long before... These friends made their way into a pagan land, submerged into a pagan culture. They had set it upon their heart not to defile themselves before God. Before temptation came knocking on their door, they had set it upon their heart not to defile themselves before the Lord. The scripture is very clear that sin is, is like a, a lion that it's crouched at the door of your heart, and it's ready to pounce once you crack the door open. And throughout the scripture, it seems abundantly clear that either you will master your sin or your sin will master you. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teach us a valuable lesson that long before temptation strikes against us, we ought to have strong faith, for we ought to set it upon our hearts that we will not defile ourselves before the Lord. Before the opportunity of sin is crouching at your door, you today set it upon your heart not to defile yourself before the Lord. What does this look like, practically speaking? Well, teenager, it means that long before you're in the back seat of the car with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and the breathing is getting a little bit heavy and the windows are becoming fogged, if you then decide how far is too far, it's too late. The battle's already over. Today, set it upon your heart that you will not defile yourself before the Lord. 
Don't wait for Friday night when you're surrounded by crown royal and meth for you to then decide what is my biblical stance on drugs and alcohol if you wait for that moment it's probably too late the battle's already over so today set it upon your heart not to defile yourself before the lord adults don't wait for that flirtatious glance from a co-worker or that awkward moment or that inappropriate lingering hug for you to then decide the sacred depth of your marriage vows by then it's too late the battle's already over today set it upon your hearts not to defile yourself before the Lord before foul language crosses your lips before the prospect of gossip dangles in front of you before you're tempted to lie in order to get out of a tight spot before you do any of those things don't wait until that day that matter that moment to then decide how are you going to use the two ounce slab of membrane called your tongue in order to glorify God if you wait for the moment of deception and temptation it's too late the battle's already over so today set it upon your heart not to defile yourself before the Lord If there's one thing that we can learn from these Hebrew brothers is that they set it upon their hearts that they would not defile themselves before the Lord. They did not want to do anything that would bring shame upon the name of God Almighty. Now I realize that we live in a day and time that godly people do some ungodly things. And I also tragically understand that for far too many professing Christians, your lifestyle doesn't look much different than those that do not profess Christ as Lord. There is a big problem in the church where the lives of the people on this side of the stained glass window looks exactly like the lives of the people on that side of the stained glass window. And I, for one, I want to be part of a generation that raises up people that sets it upon their heart not to defile themselves before the Lord. I know that we live in a culture that has a lifestyle that is reckless and ruthless, but I want to be part of a generation where we dig our heels in the sand of a decaying morality and we say enough is enough. Today, we set it upon our hearts not to defile ourselves before the Lord. I want to be part of a culture that, uh, that says that we are not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power unto salvation. So today, we set it upon our hearts not to defile ourselves before the Lord. I want to be part of a generation that says I will stand on the word of God this is God's word it is God's truth it is relevant it is applicable to where you live and where I live so today we set upon our hearts not to defile ourselves before the Lord I want to be part of a generation that revival rises up so that a watching world can see us and say we know that you believe that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him I want today for us to set upon our hearts that we will not defile ourselves before the Lord because there's any lesson we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they did not wait for the moment of temptation to then decide the level of their obedience. Today they set it upon their hearts. They would not defile themselves before the Lord. And so you and I are given the opportunity today 
to say we do not want to bring shame to the name of our good, glorious God. So today, we're resolved. We set it upon our hearts that we will not defile ourselves before the Lord. This is something that this band of brothers did voluntarily. They did under the power of the Holy Spirit. It seems to me they probably did it intentionally, and they probably even did it repetitively. They continually set it upon their hearts. We will not, we will not, we will not defile ourselves before the Lord. God's favor was upon these guys. In Daniel chapter 2, it's Daniel who is promoted in the royal court of King Nebuchadnezzar because of his ability to interpret dreams accurately. Also in Daniel chapter 2, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are taken to another province of Babylon. And they too are promoted, given high positions within the kingdom. And when the curtain lifts on Daniel chapter 3, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar is like every other dictator in the world. He's absorbed and obsessed with himself. So he makes a golden statue. It's probably a statue of himself. It's 90 feet tall. It's nine feet wide. He issues a decree saying that everyone must bow down and worship me. They must worship this image of gold that has been set up. Failure to do so would be your death. For if you fail to bow down and worship this image, then you are thrown into the fiery furnace. It didn't take very many examples for the people to understand that Nebuchadnezzar was serious. And every place that that golden statue went, the people bowed down and they worshiped. Now King Nebuchadnezzar was not calling for exclusive worship, but he was calling for inclusive worship. What I mean by that is he was not saying exclusively, you must only worship me. He didn't care. You could worship any other god or goddess that you wanted to. The religious landscape of Babylon was obnoxiously tolerant. So he was saying, you can worship whoever you want to, but you, at least everyone, must bow down and worship me. I'm sure there were some people that had been brought from the southern kingdom of Judah who thought to themselves, well, uh, maybe we can get by just with worshiping him a little bit. I mean, will God really care? We'll bow the knee to God. And then as if God's not listening or not watching, we'll bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. And everybody bowed down to worship in this province, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't being rebellious. They were being righteous. They weren't trying to be brash. They were trying to be biblical. See, they understood the Decalogue. The first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. It can also be translated, you shall have no other gods besides me. The second of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not make for yourself an image out of anything in heaven above, earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not worship any other thing. For the Lord says, I am a jealous God. I will punish the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but I will bless to a thousand generations those who love me. You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did? They took God at his word. 
They believed that God knew what he was talking about. God is a very jealous God. He's not going to share you with anyone. And so they said, we will not bow down to this image of gold. They had a strong faith. They were resolved not to defile themselves before the Lord in the small things, their diet. And also in the big things, their worship. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that when I try to major on being obedient in the minor things, it becomes very easy to be obedient in the major things. And so this is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing. They are being obsessed with obedience. They're faithful to the Lord. They've resolved and set it upon their hearts not to defile themselves before God. Well, apparently some nerdy astrologers saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. And so they came into the king and they said, excuse me, king, uh, we think that three of the guys are not bowing down. They hear the music, they, they can clearly hear, but they're not bowing down. So we think you need to throw them into the blazing furnace. Now the issue is, is that Nebuchadnezzar really, really, really liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because God's favor was upon them. So we called these three boys in. He said, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. Or I'm going to strike up the band and you had better bow down. Because nobody stands up to Nebuchadnezzar and lives to tell about it. Nobody does. And these three boys responded, O King Nebi, we don't need to explain ourselves in this matter, but the God that we serve is able to save us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know we will never bow down and worship the image of gold that you set up. Did you hear what they said? They said, our God is able, but even if he does not, we will still not bow down to this false idol. My friends, not only did they have a strong faith, but they also had a secure faith. There are a lot of great definitions of faith. Let me give you one today. Faith is trusting God regardless of the outcome. That's faith. Trusting God regardless of the outcome. That's precisely what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, our God is able to save us. But even if he does not, we're still going to trust him. Even if he does not deliver us, we're not going to turn our back on him. Even if he does not get us out of the situation, we're not going to say that God failed us. My friends, this is great faith. This is not faith that rises and falls on circumstances. This is not faith that rises and falls based upon our perception of what God is or is not doing in our life. This faith says, listen, God is able. But even if he doesn't, he doesn't owe me anything. God is able. But even if he does not, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to trust him even if I don't get delivered from this fiery furnace. For most of this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have no promise they're going to be delivered. They have no word from God. They have no divine edict from the throne room of grace. God has not spoken to them to say, I'll show up and show off. They're saying, listen, we're just going on a holy hunch here. We're just stepping out on faith. We just trust God regardless of the outcome. Now this morning I came to tell you that our God is able. Our God is able. When the prognosis is bleak, our God is able. When the bottom line is weak, our God is able. 
When the prodigal son and prodigal daughter have not yet returned home, our God is able. When unemployment still lingers, our God is able. Some call that blind faith. I just call it biblical faith. Because our God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. Our God is able. I want you to know this morning that regardless of the problem, regardless of the predicament, regardless of the prognosis that you bring into the house of God, our God is able. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still going to trust him regardless of the outcome. We've got to have faith that can handle promotion and persecution. Some of us only have faith that can handle promotion. But we've got to have a faith that can handle both promotion and persecution. In chapter 2, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 3, they are persecuted by the same hand that had just promoted them. Some of us would lose our minds over that. Yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what? That's okay. Our faith is strong enough for promotion and persecution. It doesn't matter whether I have sickness or whether I have health. It doesn't matter whether there is uh, uh, prosperity or poverty. It doesn't matter whether I'm employed or unemployed. It doesn't matter if the sky is, is sunny or if an F5 tornado rips through your town. That's okay because our faith is not built upon circumstances. Our faith is built upon Christ. So our faith is strong. Our faith is secure. Why? Because God is able. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're going to trust God regardless of the outcome. We don't know how this thing's going to turn out, but we're still going to trust God. Nebuchadnezzar could not appreciate the raw faith of these three boys. His face became distorted. He was so angry. He ordered for some of the strongest men to bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and tie them up and to throw them into the blazing furnace. The command was was given with such urgency that these three guys were not even given time to disrobe. The details are given that they were bound by their trousers and their shirts, their pants, their boots, their turbans, their hats, their jackets. All of this is told to us to show us that King Nebuchadnezzar is wicked and he's evil because he understood that this would make them more inflammable. It would make the death process more painful. So he said, bind them up. Nobody stands up to Nebuchadnezzar. The strongest men bound them up. They took them to the top of the furnace. The flames were so intense because he ordered for it to be heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. And the flames reached up and they killed those strong men. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. It's at this point that Nebuchadnezzar pulled up the royal lazy boy and he sat there and watched those arrogant teenagers fry. As he sat there, he watched, and he watched, and he watched. Then Nebuchadnezzar began to count. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. 
can't be right. One, two, three, four. He's rubbing his eyes. He's blinking. He's looking hard. He calls one of his lynchmen over. How many men did we throw into that blazing furnace? And they said, three. Why is it that I see four men walking around unbound, unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods? Now, there's been great debate over the centuries as to the identity of this fourth man. John Calvin even said that it was an angel from heaven. Still other theologians have said it was a messenger from God. I'm here to tell you this morning that I think I know exactly the identity of that fourth man. For it's none other than Jesus the Christ. I think that Jesus showed up in Daniel chapter 3. I think that Jesus came down and rescued these three Hebrew boys. I think that Jesus showed up because you and I both know that Jesus is not a creation of God, another God, or a lesser God, or somehow just burst onto the scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, Jesus has always existed. And whenever Jesus shows up on earth, it must be Jesus, God in the flesh. And Jesus comes down and he unbinds Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think what goes on is they have a block party right there in the blazing furnace. I think they're dancing. I think they're enjoying it. You say, pastor, how can they enjoy a blazing furnace? Well, I don't know about you, but everything with Jesus is more enjoyable. And so they're in there with Jesus and he's unbinding the things that have shackled them. And I think that they're dancing. You've heard of dancing with the stars. This is dancing with the savior. These three Hebrew boys are getting jiggy with Jesus. I mean, they're having a good time as they're there and they're saying, hey, this fire cannot stop us this fire cannot uh, keep us nothing can kill us because Jesus has shown up King Nebuchadnezzar opens the door and he calls for Shadrach Meshach and Abednego come here come out and as soon as they walk out of course everybody begins to gather around them and everybody notices that not a hair on their head is singed their clothes don't even smell like smoke their skin is not scorched. It's amazing. This is a moving moment for old Nebi. I mean, this is a very moving moment for King Nebuchadnezzar. Did you hear what he said? He said, let it be known from this day forward that any nation, any language, any tribe, any tongue who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will cut you. That's what he says. Look at the text. The scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar says, I will cut you to pieces and I'll turn your houses into piles of rubble. What does that mean? I will cut you. That's exactly what he says. This is a moving moment for King Nebuchadnezzar. Why does he say this? Because that last line, because no God can save in this way. There's no other God who comes down and rescues his people. No other God who comes down willing to associate with humanity. No other God who can save in this way. This is a great story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are promoted once again by King Nebuchadnezzar at the very end of chapter 3, verse 30. What a story. This is not a childish story. This is a story for all believers because this is a story of forged faith. Forged faith is strong faith. For today we set it upon our hearts not to defile ourselves before the Lord. It's a story of forged faith that is secure because we trust God regardless of the outcome. Now before I sit down, I do need to tell you something. 
This story does not promise that you will always be delivered from your fiery furnace. Because sometimes God doesn't deliver us from it, but he always delivers us through it. God did not deliver Abraham from Mount Moriah. Abraham still had to take his one and only son Isaac and go up on Mount Moriah and there sacrifice him, but God provided through Mount Moriah. For there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns that was sacrificed in the place of Isaac. God did not keep Noah and his family from the flood, but he kept them through the flood in the ark. God did not keep Joseph from the pain of the pit by his brothers, but God lifted him out of the pit and placed him in the palace. God did not keep Daniel from the lion's den, but he kept him through the lion's den. And God did not keep his own son from Mount Calvary, but he kept him through Mount Calvary. For on that infamous night when Jesus prayed, he said, let this cup pass from me. He was so stressed out that sweat drops of blood were falling to the ground. Yet not my will, but your will be done. On Friday, Jesus was crucified. He was there hanging on the cross and Jesus declared, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. He expects God to speak up. And God the Father says nothing. And Jesus bows his head and he gives up his ghost. For the rest of Friday, God says nothing. All day Saturday, it appeared as if God did nothing. But early on Sunday morning, Early on Sunday morning, God the Father raised God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. So Jesus burst forth from the tomb full of life and full of victory and full of healing. So sometimes God may not keep us from it, but he will keep us through it. If he did that for Jesus, he'll do it for you. So I can face all of my trials and I can face all the pressure and I can face all of the furnace fiascos. And the reason is because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. So this morning, God says, the reason you're here is so that you can demonstrate a forged faith in front of a watching world. We come into this house and we have problems. We have concerns. We have things that overwhelm us. We have bad doctor's appointments. We have tough meetings at work. We come in with a host of things swirling in our minds. And your faith ought not rise and fall just based upon your circumstances. Because God has created you to have a forged faith. What does that mean? It means that you have a strong faith, for you have set it upon your heart not to defile yourself before the Lord. You don't want to do anything that brings shame to the name of God Almighty. And God has called you to have a secure faith. What does that mean? It means that you trust God regardless of the outcome. 
you may not be given the answer. That's okay. You may not know how it's going to turn out. That's all right. You keep hanging on to your faith because you know who holds the future. It's Jesus the Christ. This morning, if you have never trusted this Jesus as your Savior and Lord, today I invite you to do so. This morning, if you're here and you have something that is heavy upon your heart and you just want to come and kneel here at the altar, I want you to know it's open for you. This morning, if you are uh, not a member of this church but you want to be part of this faith family, as we sing, you come. And may God be pleased with the forged faith of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.